Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Our podcast is kind of like where hunting meets habitat management, so... Thank you all for uh, tuning in. I first want to thank all of our loyal listeners for coming back once again, for leaving us the great reviews, and you know just for tuning in. We really appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys all had a great Christmas. Before we get into our new year, we have one more episode, guys. Today we have Corey Francis from uh, Southeast Michigan on the line. Corey has been on before in episode number 40, and today we talked to him. He is actually out in a deer blind. He took the podcast call from a deer blind in Missouri, and he had to put us uh, on hold uh, more than once at a possible shooter. So tune in, guys. We cover lots of cool things with Corey and Brian today, including uh, my 2019 buck story, the A-point I shot. We talk about what happened there. Uh, we talk about Corey's 2019 hunting season and his 2020 habitat plans, including different programs like CRP, uh, how to write a forestry plan, um, different monarch and pheasant pollinator type programs, different dates where these programs have to be applied for, uh, and deadlines that when you need to be doing this. And we also talk about the costs and some of the different stem counts that are required for some of these plans. Uh, so basically, we're trying to bring awareness to anybody who wants to get into a government or state program um, that you need to be looking at this now to make sure you hit all the deadlines. And then there's a couple sweet deer stories in here, too. So I want to thank Corey for coming on. We're going to get into this right now after a word from a couple of our sponsors. But uh, lastly, before we get into that, I want to thank you all for uh, 2019 here at the Habitat Podcast. We love you guys, the listeners. We could not do this without you. And you don't understand how much uh, Brian and I appreciate this. We really are grateful and thankful and uh, we really hope that, you know, we kick, kick butt for you guys in 2020. Let us know what you love, what you don't love, and uh, everything else, and we'll get it done. Now, before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank our sponsors at 5-2 Outdoors. 
Dale Wallace over there in southern Michigan, close to uh, Indiana down there, has a big uh, stockpile of deer blinds for next year. He's also a distributor of the Packer Max Volta Packers. So be sure to check out Dale on Facebook at 5-2-Outdoors. It's F-I-V-E, the number 2, Outdoors. Also, he's got a brand new website, so check him out there, and you can see what Dale's up to uh, on Instagram as well. Be sure to check out 5-2 Outdoors as they uh, support the podcast. And secondly, I'd like to thank Killer Food Plots. I met with Nick at Killer Food Plots today, actually, and some big things in the works. He has uh, Groganics Generation 2 coming out. He's got the Soil Defender coming out. Um, and also, he's rebranding all the seed packaging. So to have a you know eye out for that this winter at your uh, family farm and home or at KillerFoodPlots.com, he is now also offering free shipping on every order off his website at KillerFoodPlots.com. All right, everybody, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. My trusty co-host, Brian Hallbly, on the line. How's it going, Brian? Doing good, Jared. Just uh, relaxing over the holidays. And like I told you before we started recording, I forgot what day of the week it was. So it means I had enough days off at work. That is amazing. I, uh, I've had a couple off to join you. I'm heading back in tomorrow. So get back to it before the New Year's here. But appreciate you hopping on today. I know it's your day off. And... Uh, Corey Francis is our guest. Corey is on the other line right now. How you doing, Corey? I'm doing very well, Jared. Thanks for having me on, Brian. How's it going? Doing great. Corey, yeah, where good. are you right this second? What's that? Where, where are you at right this second while we're recording? Yeah, so I'm um, out in Missouri right now doing a little late-season muzzleloader with my dad and my brother. So I'm... Uh, Outfitter, I'm doing an outfitted hunt, and uh, outfitter encouraged all day sits. So I'm sitting all day in a box blind. I'm gonna actually make a move over to a tree stand closer to some cut corn here. When we're when once we wrap up, but uh, it's pretty windy, so I'm gambling that I can get away with this talking. I don't think I have anything better within a couple hundred yards, so I should be okay. Well, this is the first for us um, to record well. <laughs> Either the host, co-host, or guest are in, in a blind. That's the first. So, welcome. Yeah, right welcome on. Well, if I start talking quiet, it's because I have the parade starting, but uh, not anticipating anything for a couple hours. But if I say, hold on, and you hear a click, and then a bang, <laughs> uh, that, that that would be a, a really good good podcast for us to, to yeah, do. Don't, so. Make sure you don't mute your phone if that happens. Keep it open. If yeah, I, if yeah, I, if I miss... That. I might because you don't have to bleep a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> no, we I've hope that happens it. here. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, Corey is a, a previous guest of ours. We had him on Habitat Podcast number 40, actually. So that's 4-0 for anybody who wants to go back and, and hear about Corey's farm and, and what he's done uh, up until that point. So that was uh, we recorded that one in March this year. So, Corey, welcome mm-hmm. back. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate having you back on, Jared. So, tell us about how your season's been so far. I know you uh, hunted in Michigan, you went to Iowa, now you're in Missouri. How's it been going? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, man, I, I just think just hunting in all those great states, it's a uh, successful season right off the bat. Um, 
But Michigan was pretty cool this year. You know, like you said, you had me on. We talked about what I was doing at my farm. And I just think that's been the most fun is hunting the property that you kind of do habitat improvements on, right? So I didn't have any shooter bucks that I was targeting or at least uh, during daylight hours. So I, I just kind of started doing uh, some doe management, I, just creating everything that I did. I ended up kind of with several doe groups on my property, which made it a target-rich environment to manage some does. So, and then one other thing I added was a video camera this year. Uh, you inspired me to do that last year, so I added it this year. It kind of just added a new dimension for me for, for hunting, and, and, you know, it made it a lot of fun. So my season in Michigan, I think I shot, I don't know, I think I've maybe taken five does off my farm. And then Iowa was Iowa was a very interesting up-and-down emotional roller coaster hunt that ended it with a low 140s, uh, I think at nine points. And now walk to Missouri, so hopefully I can repeat here. Very nice, man. I think um, you were out in Iowa the same time I was, so it was, I was really cool. I was able to follow along with what you were doing and vice versa. And while you had uh, a similar beginning story as I did, your ending was uh, much better. So I'm happy for you get connected on that real nice buck, man. Yeah, thanks. That was pure luck, um, you, you know, uh, catching up to them. And I'll tell you, these, these animals are just amazing creatures. Uh, first morning, which I said I wasn't going to shoot a deer first morning, rattled in, I think, eight bucks. And I ended up shooting the biggest deer that I had on camera. We had about, I think we had five cell cameras out for about a month before we went to Iowa. And we came back and checked them, and we were obviously getting t- pictures every day. And the biggest deer on camera was this. We thought I thought he was an eight point. Just didn't have any. He only had like two inch brows. He had long twos and threes. He's just a big frame, beautiful looking animal, and anybody would be happy with him. You know, definitely 100%. You shoot this deer on the last day, and you hear what they say: don't pass on the first day what you shoot on the last. So mm-hmm. you get enough iron to rattling this guy in. Uh, I rattle another buck in that I was not going to shoot, although he was probably scored just high, but. Uh, he was probably a three-and-a-half-year-old, and that deer turned around and ran away, kind of acted intimidated. I figured it was just like Michigan. He didn't see what he wanted to see, so he left. Well, so I'm kind of getting my stuff back together after uh, watching this buck run off, and straight underneath me was this buck just walking him off, all bristled up, walking this buck off. So I just totally missed him behind me. So he came behind me and uh, walked, walked the buck off, and I ended up grunting him back underneath my tree. And uh, I, I took a shot that, you know, uh, I felt I could could get it done just with my equipment and uh, much as I practiced, yeah. uh, kind of straight down. And the arrow just got one lung, and he ran off, and I gave him about six hours to see him go down. Well, I never – never found him and I didn't have an exit the arrow buried in his brisket because I went so close to his you know spine that I didn't get amazing penetration but I think just the fact that I shoot you know heavy arrows in one of those turbo bows uh, a Hoyt by the way um, <laughs> yeah you gotta check them out man oh god he had to mention it I, I know when, when I know Brent <laughs> uh Brent Brent and I are on the same page as, as that Brian what do you shoot bow wise <clears throat> 
I shoot a uh, expedition. I was at oh, the ATA, nice. ATA yeah. a few years back, and uh, I was able to uh, just about every. Yeah, I was at the ATA a couple years back and uh, had enough time to shoot just about every bow that was there. And uh, just the expedition, which I didn't know much about, was the best bow that I shot. And I had to go back and shoot it again just to make sure. And I ended up picking one of those up. Can't argue yeah, with that's that, really man. Cool. I mean, that's real cool. Good to you, you know. Good deal. So you end up one lung in this deer, and you didn't find it for... A, a while that won't happen yeah so it ended up being four days so I, I i had a lit knock so i i probably went back out i shot him let's just say i don't know 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning so i go back out maybe four o'clock two hours before it gets dark and i'm basically going out to recover this deer because i saw where i hit him and in my mind he was a dead deer and i uh, found a couple beds and then just no more blood and Again, didn't have an exit, so I knew the arrow was still in them, and it was buried all the way to the fleshy. It's just, just amazing that this uh, animal carried that arrow, and, and, and it actually ended up never coming out. So for four days, um, you know, I had talked to the guy whose property I was hunting, and I told him that I was done because uh, I, I just I, I just didn't want to try to shoot another deer, even though I, I couldn't find this deer. And, and by the way, I looked the whole next day uh, as well. So I shoot him on uh, Saturday, I look, you know, in the evening on Saturday, look for my lit knock for about two hours after dark, hoping I'm going to see that thing sticking up somewhere. Then end up looking all day Sunday and Monday morning, I decided to look for birds. So I sat in a stand, uh, and I had my bow just in case I saw this deer, but I actually had a couple mid one thirties walk by and I just, you know, didn't, even, I didn't have any of that narrow knock, but was sitting there basically just recording, and I, but I was looking for birds. It was the goal of sitting in the stand. So I, I sat on one side of this big ridge system, and then the next day I sit on the other side and walk midday. Well, fast forward to Wednesday morning, I'm doing the same thing, and my buddy who I was with was hunting about, I think it was 1,300 yards from where I had shot my deer, and he was sitting there and he was hunting, rattling all morning. And he had saw a deer bedded when he walked up, like, near the ditch. And he just thought it was weird. And he quietly got in his stand. He could see it in his flashlight when he got in. Well, after a second rattling sequence, he looked over, and this, there's still a deer there. He completely forgot about it. And he saw it was a, a deer that matched the description of mine. And so he started texting me. Well, then just, then just then that deer gets up, and he can see the arrow. And is trying to get out of the, out of the ditch. Um, he had just basically taken a ditch, which if you measure the ditch was about a mile from where I shot him. Um, so, uh, w- you know, we, uh, went over there and we ended up finishing, you know, finishing animal off and, and I'll tell you it, the emotional roller coaster, uh, when I finally was able to, you know, walk up and put my hands on him, it was insane. You know, I've been fortunate to take, you know, a few deer. In, in my hunting career, and this one, from start to finish, it was probably the most emotional roller coaster that I've experienced. You know, like you said, you kind of had a similar experience with, unfortunately, not the same end, ending, which I've I've been there as well. But that that was that what makes this this animal really neat. Yeah, that's uh, no, I'm I'm 
happy for you, man. Congratulations. You, you you were sending me your pins the next day after you shot the buck of where you were looking and your your tracking and all all that. You had been all over that darn lease, and uh, you know persistence paid off, and you got lucky with your buddy being able to see him. I mean, that's awesome. Um, wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, good, man. So, good season, and uh, I'm looking forward to what my opening day is here in Michigan. Uh, January 2nd <laughs> is uh, my new opening day for habitat season. So, I'm going to tell my wife after I, I'll be getting back from Missouri on January 1st at some point, and then i got to tell her i got to get up early for opening day tomorrow, you know, the next day, and <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, I wish you luck, and uh, hide, the, <laughs> hide the sharp objects within arm's reach. Um, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. I, uh, I I hear you there, buddy. My chainsaw is uh, calling my name. Before we switch gears, I wanted to cover our late antlerless hunt that we did on your property together. Um, oh, you were yeah. nice enough to have me out for a, a doe hunt, and it worked out to where I could only, I believe, get out that Sunday morning. And um, mm-hmm. you had been sending me pictures like a couple of days before that of all the doe that were walking through each morning and what stand we're going to hunt. I was, I was fired up, and, and so were you. And I, I think I got in the car. I think I was at your place just before six. And we, oh yeah. We wanted to get out there. And I think we got like what, maybe seven thirty, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe seven twenty-five. Maybe we could just shot and. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Absolutely. Then, uh, that was really neat because we wanted to beat. We were getting the pictures of. Our access road where we have to kind of go through my center, that little swamp area, with no other way of getting there. And those does are coming through every morning between, like, what was it, 6.15 and 6.30. So I said, hey, man, we better be, we need to be through there before they come through. And um, I don't know if you remember, I think we went through at 6.12 and they went through at 6.16, right behind us, four minutes behind us. We probably weren't even to the stand yet and they were coming through, so. That was that was really cool. Yeah, we we ended up uh, getting in, um, walked behind a bunch of Corey's hinge cuts that he had to hide some hide some access and to try to funnel some deer through a certain area by the tree stand, and uh, got in undetected, got all set up, and I think first light we had three or four uh, look like just all does out. In your far food plot, we can kind of barely see through the woods there. What's that, 125, 150 yards away, something like that? Yeah, it's probably 125 to the closest edge, but there's, you know, some quite a bit of stuff between it. Yeah, there was definitely no clear shot on those. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know if those were the ones that came through on, on the camera after us or not, but we, we hung it out. We uh, sat there patiently until, I don't know, maybe 10, 10.30. It was just a gorgeous morning. I mean, the sun was out. It was cold. Big snowflakes coming down. Just like, it was really cool. And I was, you know, just satisfied being out there. And even though it was a, a slower morning, we're like, all right, well, let's get down now. And and then you, we had a, a tree stand we were going to get or something, right? Yeah, it had left my... My, my hawk sticks for my saddle um, in a tree because I was planning on hunting on a different day and the wind never worked out and never hunted again. So I wanted to get these sticks out of the tree for actually the trip I'm on right now. And uh, that that was a cool little walk there. <laughs> so 
we walked over there, had the gun ready, um, didn't see anything. Get to the tree, Corey climbs up, dropping his sticks off, clang, bang, you know, just end of the morning. I, I was ready in case something jumped up, and nothing did, so we grab his sticks, and we're all packed up, so we start heading back to the truck, and we want to go right to the center of your your south field there, kind of like a, how would you explain that field? It's like, it's like CRP, it's um, a lot of old yeah. field, bunch of trees, pines. Yeah, and I think it was in CRP maybe 25 years ago because they had put some Guatemalas in there, Norways, and some they had they had a bunch of there's some tube trees in there as well. Um, but that's that's kind of part of you know just areas that I'm going to be improving for that uh, same reason. Um, but but yeah, we walked through the center of there and noticed that one tree tube that something had pushed over trying to get what was inside of it. Yeah, if you hadn't noticed that tree tube, I don't think what transpired next may have even happened. So Corey's like, hey, you mind if we go fix this tree tube, you know, while we're out here? I'm like, oh, no, of course not. So we walk over there, and he grabs it, starts pulling it up. And I don't know if you even finished fixing that when we heard that, that buck. And Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I remember you saying, like, wait, 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 quiet. Hey, deer. And I didn't even see anything yet. And all of a sudden, that eight point jumps out of that pine tree. Uh, uh, it had to be 15, 20 yards away. Not very far. Um, yeah. And start trying to run. I immediately get up on it, and it crashes yeah. down. And so no, yeah. we haven't told the story in the podcast yet. So it, the deer crashes down, and we're just like, what in the world? And you had thought... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you had thought that maybe it was tangled up in one of your hundred tree fences out there, right? Yeah, yeah. So that area, I'm doing. I'm trying to get a bunch of trees and shrubs established, so I have a bunch of, uh, you know, welded wire cages around some of the shrubs, and you know, I was didn't know if maybe he was just wrapped up in that because he kept falling, and I think we were trying to get a better look on him, but then noticed he was a great buck. Yeah, and, and so you were... I was ready to to do whatever, and me yeah. with, with my season, how that had been going to that point, I was probably a little trigger happy, and uh, we 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 held off. We identified what was going on. The deer had actually um, it was injured pretty bad, so ended up uh, getting up there and seeing that both the front legs, especially the right front leg, was had bones sticking out, very damaged. And um, mm -hmm. we ended up, you know, putting the buck out of his misery. There was, uh, what do you think happened to, it, to that buck now that you've had some time to think about it, Corey? I don't know. It's, it, if it got shot, it got shot from the ground because the injuries were at the same level on both the right and left side, it looked like at least. But it, it was hard to tell. But like you said, I think he was, I think he was, he was injured to, uh, you know, who knows if he would have bounced back. But um. well, we um, we made the call. We we put him mm -hmm. on his misery and uh, got got up to him, and he actually smelled kind of funky. Um, a lot of his, a lot of the 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 deer's weight, body weight, had been you know diminished down to. You see his hip bones. He's you know. He wasn't in good shape. His neck was real skinny. Actually, his saliva, mm -hmm. remember when I was tucking his tongue in for the picture, his saliva was all green? 
Yeah. It was uh it was interesting. So we don't know what happened either, you know, a bullet went through both front legs, um got into the cavity a little bit but it wasn't lethal. Or he got hit by a car which I don't know, I think maybe the bullet probably, to be honest with you. Makes more sense. Yeah. But he was in the middle of your property, he was bedding up in your beautiful CRP field against that pine tree and trying to trying to stay alive like these tough SOBs do. Yeah, never cease to amaze you how tough these things are. Where he came from, who knows, you know. Um, how long he'd been there, I, I don't know. Cause I, I had actually walked that a week prior right in that same area, uh, maybe five days prior, uh, briefly with, with my forester, actually. And, uh, you know, there's obviously no evidence of him there then, but I'm not sure. Maybe he's better there for a couple of days. Yeah. But obviously, like you said, he was looked like he was a little run down. So that injury, I think, was – I think he had that injury for for a couple of weeks at least. It was, what, middle of muzzleloader? Or, or, yeah, it was about the middle of our muzzleloader season. Yeah, I think it was wasn't the, it? the 15th, and, and the blood was all dried on the legs. Like, the bone was bare. It wasn't like it was wet, fresh blood at all. It had been there for sure. Yeah. Might, might align with dates of the you know end of the Michigan gut fire you know regular firearm season. Who knows? Yeah. Corey, did you have any uh, history with that buck at all? You, you know what? I, I started kind of going back through some of the pictures. I have to pull my cards. So I, I, I delete. I just delete the pictures as they come to my email. But I'm going to go through some of my cards and see if I can find some pictures of them. Um, the neighbor across the street thinks he uh, recognized uh, recognized them. So. Okay. Uh, it's likely uh, with our our little uh, group that we share pictures. It's likely we have a trail cam picture of them somewhere. Sure. So, a um, a cold, quiet, beautiful antlerless deer hunt turned into uh, a you know a nice eight point. You know, I, I know you, you could would do that. Huh? <laughs> Only Jared could do that. <laughs> right. Oh, want to go hunt and shoot an eight point. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it was pretty neat, man. I mean, uh, lot, you know, getting to see you smiling and just the, the 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 joy of the successful hunt that we had together, man. That was really cool. And the snowflakes, I remember trying to take a picture and take your picture, and and we just were blinded by how big these snowflakes were. You can't even see that in some of the pictures. It, it's pretty cool, man. What a beautiful day. Oh yeah, that was. Uh... It's definitely a hunt I'll never forget, and it all happened because of you. So thank you very much for having me out. Um, I know when you when you put a buck out of its misery like that, it's not really the same feeling of you know having that that buck with his nose right behind that female running you know running through and and all that. But um, I was I was happy that we were able to put him out of his misery, and that we were able to you know try to give him a little bit of a credit, and as a beautiful buck he was, we took some nice pictures with him, and um, we'll obviously have the the antlers to, to talk about forever, so, yeah, thanks again, yeah. Corey, that was awesome, buddy, that was a hell of a hunt, that was just, I was, as you know, I didn't have much to say for about 10 minutes there, I was pretty, pretty dumbstruck. Yeah, yeah, honestly, I, and I reflected on that after, after we uh, parted ways, and I just thought it was really cool how much you honored that animal. You know, um, and you, and I know it's it's really cool to you know, rattle a deer in or watch them 
chasing a doe and stop by your stand panting and, you know, fill your tag that way. But that was kind of cool. It was just kind of a neat experience. One, you know, like how we kind of started this conversation of, uh, you know, a shot that didn't do what we thought it was going to do to the animal and they run off and they live longer than, than, uh, than it takes for us to find them type deal. Um, and you, you, you took a situation like, like that and you made it into something that meant a lot to you and, you got to share it with somebody else. Usually, when we're in a tree, uh, you know, we're kind of doing this alone. So it was, was kind of cool. Uh, I just think that all adds to the experience, uh, regardless of of inches or, you know, it, it's just that that how you honor the animal and then getting to share it. That was the cool part for me, man. Yeah, and all joking aside, I mean, you guys are out there putting the time in. And, and Jared and I talked about this right after he harvested that buck. It, you know, sometimes you got to take the gifts, and sometimes you got to take the easy ones that walk in on your lap. I mean, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Jared busted his butt all season long and had some tough hunts and was given this opportunity and uh, not only made the best of it, but like you said, he, he turned something that was, you know, a suffering animal into something beautiful as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well said, man. Yeah, very well said, guys. Very well said. It was... Uh... He's a beautiful buck. It's too bad he had to had to go through what he had to go through before we got him. But um, you know, it was. I'm glad we did. When you think about it that way, um, he's infected and this and that, and, and that really sucks. We're really bummed out about that. Um, but at the same time, the fact that we put him out of his misery, I was happy to put my tag on. There's no question there. Yeah. So well, good stuff. Yeah. Th- thanks, guys, for ro- rolling through that story with me. I wanted to get that out there, and uh, I. I mean, he's a beautiful buck, and. Uh, when we were walking through that CRP field and all morning in the stand, we were talking about your farm and 2020 habitat because, I don't know, you're just like me and Brian, and that's all we think about and talk about. So let's get into, you were looking at some different programs for 2020, um, and actually just before you left for Missouri, you were talking to, to someone about some programs as well, right? Let's, let's maybe work into that discussion. Yeah, so I have a couple of things that, you know, I wanted to look into. One was, um, and, and honestly, the primary reason I started looking into these was for tax breaks. Uh, when I bought my farm, it had 100% uh, ag exemption, uh, meaning more than 50% of the farm is, uh, m- more than 50% of the acreage uh, is used for agricultural use, which, you know, which means something that's benefiting humans. So, when I when I bought it, uh, you know, the local assessor looked at the aerials and the property and realized that really only 20 of the 70 acres were being used for agricultural use, which uh, put me under the 50% mark. And uh, my taxes uh, drastically jumped. And, you know, it went up actually $3,500 a year on top of what they already were. Yeah. So I, I needed a way to, you know, it's a recreational farm. I don't live there. And uh, not, I don't get income off of it and you know, double my taxes. So I got to figure out, figuring out a way to get the taxes down. So the two things I looked into, and we can jump into either one of them first. You just tell me was uh, one. I had a 20 acre field in there that that is agriculture that I want to get take out and make it into more more habitat. I know we talked about that last time. So I wanted to look into like a CRP program to see if that was viable uh based on the different programs they have to offer and then 
uh, also uh, forced uh, forest stewardship program uh, allows a tax break of uh, 16 mil, which is, you know, let's just say one of the mills are 200 bucks or something a year. So it'd be $3,200 off my taxes. And it costs, it costs two mil a year to be in the program. So $400 a year to be in the program, but I saved 3,200. So uh, I look at that as a good deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking into that as well. Uh, and, yeah. and probably going to do that anyways, even if I do CRP. Well, let's, let's talk about that first since, um, that's kind of, I think that's been put on hold for another year at least, right? So let's, if I'm saying that correctly, let's talk about the forestry program, then maybe move into the the yeah. other program where you've been talking about with uh, more recent. Yeah, so I'm learning a lot. I'm, uh, I'm learning a lot about it because actually I ended up getting denied um, for this year to for the, I guess, the 2020 tax break. So uh, I know we were talking about it earlier. There's a, a September 1st deadline to submit your forestry plan. So you, you, need to build, you need to have a forester write a plan for you. And that can be done through hiring a private forester, which is what I did, or um, getting a state forester to write the program. The state forester takes longer, um, but it is a little cheaper to get done. The private forester is uh, relatively quick. Uh, and it costs a little bit more, but you can actually still get a grant. For example, I think I paid $1,000 to uh, my forester uh, to write the plan, and he actually took it upon himself to uh, submit for me uh, something to the state and got me $250, uh, a $250, I guess, grant towards his fee. So I think I paid, you know, I paid him $750, and then, uh, the state paid them 250 and um, I don't think that most foresters will just go out and do that for you. So uh, a lot of praise to this guy that, that did that. But what they'll do is kind of come in and uh, what he did is came in and uh, drew on my property, kind of looked at the, the soil maps and uh, broke it up in sections of the different types of stands. For example, that like the field you shot your deer and that's uh, an 18 acre section of um, you know, the mixed Norways and um, kind of more of a regenerate, uh, it's, it's in regeneration stage, but um, it doesn't have enough trees to be counted as uh, young forest. So, and, and when I said I'm learning a lot, because I got denied, I ended up getting the, the numbers it needs. You need to have, you know, 200 uh seedlings per acre or 100 saplings per acre or the saw logs if you, you have mature trees that have to be able to pr- produce so much board footage per acre to be considered forested mm. um to be able to get into the program so i thought that was an interesting thing to learn kind of you know through this process um and then also you want to write it so um, we didn't think that field was going to be an issue, and it ended up being an issue because I think that that standard kind of has, has kind of evolved in the last couple of years. And um, you know, I guess he was a little under my force; he was a little unaware uh, of it. I mean, the guy is super knowledgeable. Uh, I'll, I'll give him I'll give him that because it is kind of a new rule. But um, what we did is we broke my property up into five zones, which ends up ended up being an issue uh, because it it threw the count off as far as, uh, you know, the percentage of forested acres. So 
um, it has to have, I think, more than 50% forested. So 50% of the acreage needs to qualify as, you know, as I said, you know, 200 saplings or 100, or I'm sorry, 200 seedlings or 100 saplings or so much board foot. So, um, but once you write these plans up and you'll submit them by September 1st, and I urge anybody and everybody to submit them before September 1st because <laughs> I submitted on September 1st, and the problem I ran into was after I got denied or when I, when I got denied and they said, hey, we need to do some recounts, um, we are rolling into the rut. Actually, I was in a tree stand in Iowa, and um, when when my when Hunter, the, who I'm who I'm using as a forester, called me and said, "Hey, man, we got denied. In the next thirty days, we got to go out on your farm and uh, do a recount and and you know kind of show them where we're getting our numbers." And uh, you know, being the rut and then going into gun season, I said, "Hey, we got to push this off as much as we can." And so, anyways, I ended up being too late trying to get that recount. The guys from the state, they were uh, overloaded with work and just weren't going to get to my project in uh, 2019 uh, for a recount. So I have to wait to submit now, um, next year. Okay. But, uh, so they, so, that's, so that's, that's huge advice to anybody that's yeah, looking really. to do that. Okay. So you, so run the dates by me one more time just for layman's terms. You had to submit by September 1. Yep. And then there were some modifications or revisions that you needed to have done, and you had a certain time period to get those done. And if you don't get things done by these days, you have to wait for the next calendar year to enroll. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Okay. Well, there's um, – and, and do you know if that, that forestry plan being September 1, do you know if that's an, a normal date for – forestry plans around, or, or Brian, do you know? I, I thought a lot of this stuff had to be done like the beginning of the year, not so much like September, so that's interesting. Well, it all depends on your area. I mean, the best thing everybody can do is get a hold of their local USDA or NRCS agent. Yep. Uh, it's easy to find online. Um, they'll have different programs for different areas, different soil types. I mean, you name it, if you're trying to do – forestry like Corey talked about or uh, CRP like this is the first CRP general sign up in four years mm-hmm. that opened up at the beginning of December and uh, you have to have it in I think it closes February 28th so it mm-hmm. just depends on the program and in the region you're in but yeah contact the USDA or NRCS agent in your area and they'll get you on the straight and narrow Nice yeah, Ryan. absolutely, and that is the date for yeah CRP, which again looking into that as well. But we can uh, we can finish up on the forestry stuff too if there's got anything else you want to wrap on that. Yeah, yeah. So say, I guess tell me a little bit more about your forestry plan. If once you do get into the program, what are you going to be required to do, or what are your plans with? I guess how big of a portion of your property? You said 18 acres. Is that the only part that's going to be in this plan? Yeah, no, great question. So, um, so the whole property is enrolled in, into the plan, and it's broken up into five different zones on my property. Um, so, you know, that 20-acre field that I spoke of that I want to get into CRP, we have a plan for that. We have a plan for my my swamp area or you know my wet my wetland area. We have a plan for you know the area that was the old CRP that you shot you know your deer in. So every every section 
has its own prescription, if you will. Okay. okay and, so with you know, the- and it's a mix in, in the agricultural use field, for example, the one that's that 20 acres that we're talking about in a CRP. Mm-hmm. It, the prescription for that is um, plant, uh, I'm reading it right now, uh, plant uh, native deciduous and conifer seedlings periodically over the next five to ten years. And, and that's and, for the CRP field mm-hmm. or the forestry field? That That's the CRP field. If you will, okay, which, yeah, the northern tool. Which the CRP, which I'm looking to get into, will align with my forestry plan. And and if it doesn't, and I decide to throw a few acres of wildflowers in there, um, it doesn't really uh, affect anything negatively, as far as I know. But um, that's the plan for that. You know, you and I was stood next to my barn, and I said, hey, listen, I don't like being able to see all the way across this, there any deer right. in it, you know. So being able to put, you know, trees and shrubs and, mix some types of, of forbs through there is, is really the ideal scenario just to attract more habitat, not only deer, too, you know. It's these trees and shrubs and this forestry plan is going to align with all sorts of wildlife, pheasants, turkey, you know, rabbits, squirrels, songbirds, every, everything you can think of is, is kind of what I want um, that property to just attract. I want it just to be a you know, wildlife paradise, and not for only, you know, big picture bucks. I want it for everything to enjoy. Well said. Well said. I think uh, that's what a lot of us aspire to have, and and I want to hear a little bit more on what you're going to be planting in the forestry field, if you will, and then how you mentioned how they're all going to be um, working together or, or, you know, relate to each other how that'll happen. So I guess take us through quickly, uh, what are you what are you planning on planting in the forestry field or what does the state require um, that you do to be part of this program to, in essence, improve your habitat, lower your taxes? Yeah, absolutely. So so the forestry field, as in the one that you uh, you, you shot the deer in, is that the one you're speaking of? That's uh, that's your, your southern one. That's yeah, that's southern field, plan, yep. Right? Okay. Yeah, so, well, they require to, so to be considered forested or to be a part of the, for, uh, to be acres can, uh, enrolled in a forest stewardship plan, it needs to have 200 seedlings per acre. So my goal would be to plant, you know, 200 oaks or mix of, you know, oaks and maybe hard maple um, per acre. Okay. Is that it? Which I mean, yeah, not, well, not that that's hard, yeah, like, so that's, easy to do. That's but as far as the tree planting. But okay. So then it, it'll be protected because then you want to be able to still protect soil soil erosion. So uh, you don't want to, um, you know, just want bare dirt, or you don't, and you also don't want the, you know, like the mare's tail or some of the uh, non-desired um, invasive species. You want to make room for them to start thriving. Right. So it's going to be protected with native grass such as, you know, switchgrass and Indian grass and uh, mixed throughout that with all of these trees tubed. And then it'll be a little maintenance up front where I'm going to have to go around and, uh, I guess, kill kill the grass around the tube so it doesn't choke it out early give, and giving them a year or two, the seedlings a year or two to uh, kind of compete, even though they will be in a tube. You still want to give them some time to compete. 
Perfect. Okay. And do you have specific seedlings in mind that you're going to plant? Well, my the thought is, and and I have to, I want to look into different species. Actually, here in Missouri, uh, and then actually when I was in Iowa, I noticed uh, an oak tree, and I, and I don't know based on the leaves what type of oak it is. It doesn't have the typical red oak or even white oak leaf. So uh, I, I, someone had told me what type of tree, oak it was. I'm going to see if that's something that we plant. And the reason I like it is they all right now still have their leaves. So nice. I want something that's going to hold weight just for that added um, density and cover. Right. Um, and then something also down the road that will produce an acorn that's, uh, you know, um, beneficial and desired by, by wildlife to eat. I, I think an oaks will hold their leaves late, and um, there's a couple other oaks that'll do that. Um, I think whites lose them relatively early, but maybe one of you guys know that. Well, I know Missouri has a lot of bur oak. Um, I'm not. I, I bet our listeners could tell us. One of our listeners could probably tell us exactly what tree you're talking about. Um, yeah, they've got some interesting looking leaves. They're not like the regular red or whites. Okay, I know that. I don't think I have any on on my property. I'm. I mean, may, maybe there are some, um, but I think having something that holds some cover, you know, late in the year, that's always. I love that, and the fact that you're you have this this field, guys, is freaking sweet. He's got like 15 foot conifers, maybe even mm-hmm. you know 25 foot, just throughout yeah. this field. So it really. I mean, it really breaks it up where you're not going to find a buck bedded in my open area on my property like that one was on yours in the same forestry field we're talking. I mean, he was nudged in up to one of these big conifers with another small uh, oak or something right in front of him, and, I mm-hmm. mean, he felt safe. So that's just uh, – I'm excited to see what you have and you know, in this plan down the road and and see where it is, you know, five years from now. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to uh, plant the uh, the uh, autumn olive, but uh, obviously the state won't get behind there. That they're, they're obviously paying people to take them out now. So yeah, they're gonna uh, get hate mail now. Yeah, officially, just... I don't have any autumn olives on my property, so don't <laughs> look there for autumn olives. <laughs> so we're sitting there taking pictures of this buck, and there was this branch up in front of the buck's face, and I reach over and broke it down. And, Corey's like, no, it's one of my automatas. Don't break that. <laughs> totally just screwing around with me. And it's uh, yeah. it, it's funny you say that because that's a hot topic in the habitat world, especially, um, you know, as, as it's an invasive and whatnot. But, I, I mean, I tell you what, there's deer freaking love it around me, and I've said it before, and, and where I used to hunt in Mount Pleasant. I mean, they just live in that stuff, so... I don't know. I'm sure there's better stuff out there that you know that's native, but um, the autumn olive is it's just so prominent. It's hard to it's hard to keep up with it. But yeah, and and, and I do have a few, and, and there's not many. And if so I took out much, all man. of my autumn autumn all of my autumn olives, I wouldn't even put a dent in the autumn olive population in my square mile. Right. I it wouldn't even they would just wouldn't even be a blip. Right. And you know you'll you could get any of the biologists that come up here out to your property from any state telling you the same thing. Now, you know, they have programs to take them out. Uh, they used to have programs to put them in, 
Yep. But and when you ask uh, an expert about them, hey, so what do you have that's comparative to an autumn olive as far as its growth rate, its desire to wildlife recover the berries, you know, the birds eat the berries. Um, the answer is blank. There really isn't anything kind of as that doesn't they grow as fast and handle a wide variety of soils. There, there's a, you know, high bush cranberry is a possibility. I'll be looking into that a little bit more, but it still just doesn't compete. Now, I think it'd be a more desired food source uh, once they are mature. But so, anyways, I, listen, I, I don't have an auto, I don't have a save olives or olives like matter two sticker on my truck yet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, anyways, I just think they're good habitat. I mean, and I look underneath. All of them. I think if you and I were walk around, because I do have, I do have few. I don't have a lot. I only have a few. Uh, all of them have a bed under it. Every single one. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, I like that autumn olive lives matter too. That'll be a new habitat podcast sticker. Corey gets all the proceeds. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, that. all the hate, all the hate mail from from it. But uh, you would ask me too about you know planting in there, and we were talking about programs and. I don't even know if I mentioned this to you, you know, while we were out. I ended up getting in a, a, another cost-sharing program, kind of like CRP, but you don't get a an annual rent fee. You don't get an annual payment. I got into a program through the NRCS um, called Equip, and like CRP, they have a bunch of different varieties of it. Um, and they, you know, so, so many different things that you can plant. So what I got into with Equip, which is effective now, I started the ground prep this fall and I'm going to continue with the spring and plant this spring, is three, I think it was like 3.1 acres of switchgrass. And that's going to be used kind of in that area, in that back area as a, as a screen. It's not going to be a three-acre uh, monoculture of switchgrass, but I'm going to kind of border it around for screen and edge. And then I also got one acre of what they, what's called pollinator mix, which is milkweed and a few wildflower blend uh, mixed with, I think, about a half pound of switchgrass. And that's to attract nor, uh, monarchs, the monarch butterflies, and pheasants. So that's something they're paying. And that, um, that's actually um, you know, expensive to put in. And maintain, so it's a, a good rate if you can find someone to help you put it in. I don't think you're gonna make money on it, but uh, if you if you put enough acres, then you might. And then uh, lastly, the other thing I got into is a tree and shrub planting. Um, again, to create bedding back there. So we're doing just because of the workload. I'm gonna do I think 1.4 acres per year for the next five years. I'm sorry, it's how long it lasts. So I think it's like six acres total is what I ended up, I'm going to do, okay. which is that whole area. Okay. And, and how did you find out about these additional programs, or what led you to to go down this road? Yeah, so one of the first things I did last, uh, you know, I bought in 2000, in the spring of 2018, is I started calling, you know, um, you, listen, you start calling people and they tell you I'm not the right person, and, and it's... It, it, it uh, is exhausting because you tell them your story and what you want to do, and then they put you off to somebody else that they handle it. But um, so I just started calling the different, you know, farm service agencies and the, the NRCS office, and and I talked to a guy, and he was 
he was awesome uh, in uh, Jackson County, uh, where I'm at. And he he came out, walked my property with me, and I told him what I want to do. And you know, one or, one or two of the things he said, talk to this guy, and a couple of things he said, I can help you with that. And so we we wrote wrote a plan, and he submitted it, uh, which was he submitted it last year, and it got accepted uh, nice. for this year. So. Um, and it's a cost, you know, it's a cost share like CRP, but I don't think, I don't think they have res- as many restrictions because there's not an annual land rent. It's just a one-time cost share. But it, if I go cheap enough, honestly, it almost be a full thing. Um, I think I'm getting like five or six bucks per tree or shrub I put in. And if I put in a seedling with a, you know, $3 tube, it, it pretty much pays for it. I guess it doesn't pay for the, the stake to hold the tree tube on, but I'll <laughs> figure all that out. You know, so yeah, maybe yeah. I'll have 10 bucks in a tree and it pay up, maybe it pays for half of it, but that's a pretty good deal. And was there a acreage requirement on that one? You said you're doing like 1.4 per year. Was that a requirement or? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I, I guess I can't speak to what that requirement was of minimum acreage. I want to say you may need a minimum of 10 acres to get into some of these programs. Um, but you really didn't have a minimum eight, uh, acre requirement of how much I could do. Okay. Um, but when we're writing the plan, um, you want to write it to where it gets accepted. Uh, and he did mention the, you know, the A word that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. autumn house. <laughs> and, um, but in the plan, when the state came back, they did not require me to take them out because he, he said they potentially will say, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and do the cost here on this. But, you know, you need to kill those 20 autumn olives on your property first. Gotcha. Um, they didn't. Um, but this the area I'm planting in also doesn't have autumn olives. So they see that as a, a way to potentially choke them out, not encourage them to grow somewhere else. Okay. Very nice. Well, I might be I might be uh, pausing to pull the trigger here. Give me ten seconds, here, gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna get my my trusty uh, muscle loader ready. I just had two big big does come running behind me, but I don't know what what they're doing. But man, yeah, this buddy. is cool. I feel like you guys are hunting with me. I feel like I am too. I'm sitting <laughs> in my basement slash laundry room slash studio though. Yeah. Well, get them. Um, yeah, no, it's just a couple of does, and I didn't mind doe tags, so we're good. Oh, man, that's exciting. You got me you got me pumped up over here, Corey. Thousands of miles away, pumped up. Yeah, yeah, here comes another one, but uh, when they're going directly downwind, we'll see how good these uh, these blinds are. Yeah. So, yeah, man, so, so anyways, uh, so the NRCS, I got the, into that program, and I'll be implementing those acreage, and that'll be in that South 20. Um, and then that that North 20 is what I'm going to be looking to enroll into CRP. And, and like I said, there's a lot of different programs for that, too. Um, there's wildflowers, there's native grass plantings, there's, and there's forest regeneration. So I'm going to be looking into... Um, kind of kind of all of the above and, and that way I don't have a monoculture of of one type. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing that I was looking at with, with native grasses and I love them. I think the big blue, little blue and Indian grass, it's great cover. 
but it doesn't withstand snow. So I want to have, I just want to have mixes of switch and, and trees because I'd hate to have a 20-acre field that get wet snow in November and, and then now the animals that were thriving in there, you know, lose their habitat. So That's a good point. That's uh, something we should all think about more is, you know, what can withstand that, that heavy snowfall. We got a we got a heavy snow in November this year. We got one last year. I mean, that's that's a good thought there. And, and Brian, you were even looking at, I believe, for your front field, or maybe I don't recall which field you were looking at. You were looking at um, a possible program as well, right? Yeah, I was looking into the TRP. Like Corey said, there's so many different variations of it that they can get you enrolled into. I have. Uh, 12 acres in the front that I used to run out to a local farmer and I decided to get out of that deal and start turning it into more deer habitat just because I'm limited on a lot of cover and uh, so I looked into native grass programs like Corey mentioned and uh, some of the young forest and pollinators also so that's that's something I'm hoping to get going with uh, USDA or NRCS here in the next couple of weeks uh, contacted them before the holidays I'm sure they're busy and uh, with the time off it's, it's going to take a while to get back to me but hopefully we got the ball rolling here this time I always seem to run into a lot of roadblocks with it yeah I, I hope you uh, have good luck on that and get that into that program um, is that so you said they opened up this CRP for the first time in four years. Is that a national thing? So is it the same for Michigan and Ohio, or is it a state thing there? Yeah, that's that's the general sign-up. Uh, they have other programs that are what they call rolling sign-ups, which are open all year. Some have different deadlines. Uh, it just depends on the program. That's that's why I mentioned before, and uh, Corey brought up a good point, just just stay on them. If you if you run into a roadblock, and I've run into a lot of them, just keep calling different people, and eventually, hopefully, you'll find somebody that'll help you out. Yeah, yeah. I ended up having good luck with emailing them. Um, I'd left a couple of voicemails, and uh, I ended up just emailing somebody, and uh, they they helped me out. Okay. So I did. You know, it's just I guess everyone's different. I mean, we all have people we deal with, and uh, that respond to email or voicemail or text better and just guys yeah, just start throwing a bunch of different styles of communication at these guys and they'll respond and, um, and if you have you know give them a little detail about your project so save them time as well too I think that's what the nice thing about email is you can give them a little detail of what you're trying to do and they can just either filter uh, finally off to the right person or um, just be able to look and say okay yeah that's something we can do and you'll be more productive, too, when you actually do sit down and talk to them. Very good thoughts, guys. I know um, in episode 33 with Chad Thalen, we Mm -hmm. go into a lot of detail about how to find out what programs are open to us uh, property owners, and and we get into even more detail on what websites to go to and, and whatnot there as well. So if anybody found any of this conversation interesting and wants to get their property into something, um, get on it right away so you're not missing any deadlines. And then, uh, you know, anybody here at the Habitat Podcast, whether it's me or Brian or Corey or anybody else, can, can you know, help guide you to uh, 
wherever you need to be guided. And, and if we can't, we do know the right people who, who do know. So, mm-hmm. Corey, I uh, want to give it back to you. Any last thoughts on your 2020 habitat plans uh, before we wrap this up and let you get back to hunting? Yeah. Um, no, man, it's, I'm just excited to be able to, uh, I guess, start adding, you know, paint to the canvas that, uh, you know, I bought this property and uh, you can buy a turnkey property and, you know, have all this work done for you. And I just have so much fun um, kind of just reshaping the way, you know, that nature uses this. The next thing that I'm actually looking into right now is with the DEQ, I have that, that lowland that kind of that access road where we had, we had to beat those does in yep. that's kind of considered wetland. Um, and, and you legally can't put a shovel into it with, you know, without a permit from, you know, the DEQ or in Michigan, it's called uh, EGLE or Eagle. And I'm looking to be able to dig a series or a few shallow water ponds in there. Uh, a lot of that's just, you know, I have some, you know, little wood deck ponds and it, it, it stays wet year round, but I've never seen a frog in it or, you know, jumped one duck in a real flooded, it was really wet one, uh, one spring. So I'm working, uh, what I found out through, as we talked about kind of the, the chain of kind of, you know, not getting passed around, but getting to the right person. I found out I need to do that in conjunction with, either uh, the state, the federal government, or a conservation program such as, like, Ducks Unlimited. I could partner with them uh, to write the plan, and then I could get approved to to dig these shallow water ponds. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think it would be really – I think it would just, again, just add diversity to, to the landscape. Um, I think, you know, for – for as far as the whitetail hunting that I do, I think it could funnel deer a little differently through through those areas. Um, you know, just like as if you do a hinge cut for you know curving deer travel, I'll, I want to put a little pond to uh, you know to curve the deer travel. So and and again, uh, if they're you know four or five feet deep, maybe they'll hold you know a little fish. I, I really don't know. Um, I think that those swamp with swamp with the cattails, it doesn't really freeze too thick, so it could actually end up holding some little fish. It's just fun, um, but I'm actually, you know, just looking for an excuse, man, to buy buy an ex- excavator. So <laughs> if I can get if I can um, get this permit, uh, there's going to be four ponds, and to have somebody do them, a professional do them, which probably I would recommend to most people, but uh, if you guys know me, I'm the kind of I just like doing stuff that I'm that's over over my head all the time. Um, so hopefully I don't sink the excavator in this swamp because that'd be expensive to get it back out. Um, Been there, done that. Yes, sir. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, well and, and we'll like see. we talked so about, when I'm we were... looking for an excuse to buy this, and if if I do and get this, that's the next habitat project, or it's going to just keep kind of happening in conjunction um, with everything else I got going on. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about in the tree stand, if that could drain some of the water out of some of the other areas of the swamp, it might offer more dry bedding in that area. Exactly. Versus, like, right now we got a high water year, so a lot of that, you know, looks like it had ice in it and, and water. And, and same with my property, the back end. Um, but if you can drain some of that, maybe offer a few more beds in there, you might hold, you know, 
couple more bucks and might make it one or two more years. So it's uh, it's a good idea. I like it. So yeah, yeah. That was another good point you brought up about contacting Ducks Unlimited. There's a lot of great organizations that'll help you figure stuff out too, like Rough Grouse Society and uh, Pheasants Forever, and you name it. There's there's plenty out there for whatever you have in mind that you might want to do for your property. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Actually, I know Ducks Unlimited did a project with one of my buddies and put in, I want to say, about five acres of of wetlands, and uh, and he didn't have it. It wasn't really there. It was an improvement project. And I want to say they, they handled almost all the cost of it, too, which which is amazing. That's pretty sweet there. Yeah. So you can do these projects and, and do these habit, you know, these land improvements, which um, this this allows your, your property to be more enjoyable. It's sometimes with very little out of your pocket. I think that's uh, a great discussion, you know, a great point. A lot of good things in this episode, guys. Um, I mean, it's the time to start thinking about some of that stuff. Like like Brian said, that CRP date's going into February and then it's wrapped up. So, you know, guys, if you want to get something going this year, be sure, you know, call your NRCS agent. Just be sure to start looking at it now. So that's kind of why we wanted to talk about this today. You know, we didn't want to bother Corey in the deer blind, but at the same time, he's such a good guy to talk to that we want to get him on and uh, you know, hear what he has to say and Brian as well on, on what they have for 2020. So, guys, thank you very much for coming on. Um, Corey, I hope you uh, shoot the biggest buck you've ever seen over the next couple <laughs> of days while you're out there. And uh, Brian, uh, Brian and I are still working on some late season plans, so we're not done yet, yeah. guys. We're we're almost done, um, but we're not done yet. Well, I'm gonna I'm getting ready to make that. As soon as we hang up this phone, I told you I was gonna make a move to a tree stand, and it's really only 50 yards from me. But uh, it gets a really be- a better look at this cut cornfield. And just now, as we were wrapping this up, a potential shooter buck is now 70 yards in front of that stand, but okay. I can't see him from where I'm at in this box line. So we'll uh, I'm gonna see if I can put the sneak on and get up that in that stand and uh, get a better look at him. It looked like he could be in the 140s, maybe 150. So I'm going to – we're going to cross my fingers, man, and see if we can close this little Missouri muzzleloader hunt here in the next 30 minutes. Okay, well, we'll let you go, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I would sit on the phone and you know while you stalk this buck, but we'll let you go, and uh, <laughs> I wish you luck, man. All right, hey, Brian, great, great catching up with you, Jared. Great talking to you as always, man. You guys have a great new year, and uh, you know, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Corey. You too. All right. See you guys. All right, everybody. What do you think about that episode? I thought uh, very informative, and most importantly, I hope Corey gets on that buck, and hope we didn't screw him up there, Brian. Yeah, I'm hoping we get a text here the next hour or two with him sitting behind a nice Missouri buck. That'd be sweet. Oh, I know. It's uh, It's just that late season time. It's, you know... They say a lot of these deer are easier to hunt now, but, I mean, I went out the other night with my daughter and for the antler list again, trying to tag up a, a third deer, and all I saw was a buck. I mean, you can't shoot the buck with a with a gun at this time of year, so it was uh, it's a challenging time of year, and I, I wish them luck. I know you're not done. you got muzzleloader season coming up. Yeah, that's coming up uh, next weekend. Uh, lots of killer food plots, food left all over the farm. 
Uh, I put a post up. I was cutting down my corn, getting it on the ground, which is legal to do in Ohio. I know a lot of places you can't do that, so make sure you guys check your rigs before you do stuff like that. But I can do it there and uh, hoping to take advantage of all the food I got left and keep your fingers crossed for some cold weather. Yes, sir. Well, uh, that all sounds awesome. We'll keep you guys posted on how our late season continues. I want to thank Corey again for coming on. Uh, like I said, Corey was our guest for episode 40, which is another great episode, so I urge you guys to go back and check that one out if you haven't already. Um, and then episode 33 with Chad Thalen. We cover a lot of things uh, similar to what we talked about today in terms of different programs that are available. Uh, today we talked more about you know the dates and and some more specifics, uh, but there's a lot more into this stuff, guys. So feel free to just reach out to us or, um, you know, Brian or Corey or myself or uh, your local NRCS agent and uh, just do it now before uh, it gets too late, and that way you're you're on the ball. It's kind of why we're trying to do this uh, here at the end of the year. But want to uh, thank our sponsors for the support 2019 here. I want to thank Killer Food Plots, Packer Max Call the Packers, 5-2 Outdoors, The Hunt Wise, app, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, and the Habitat Hook. Guys, we had an awesome year with you all. We love the support. We do appreciate it very much, and we will be back very soon with some awesome Habitat Podcast episodes. Uh, Happy New Year's to you all, and uh, we'll see you in 2020. Happy New Year. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.